Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back for Children's Church. And for those who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> we are uh, in a little Advent series that is a spinoff of the sermon series that we did uh, just prior to this. Uh, called We Are His. We're looking at gospel principles for singleness, marriage, parenting, sex, and life together in the family of God. In, in other words, what does it mean for our relationships that we belong to God? And we're looking uh, during this Advent season at how that works itself out in the family, the earthly family of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we turn now to consider Mary, looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray that you would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, we ask that you would abound to us with your grace and your mercy that we might know who you are, that we might know whose we are, and that this reality, that you are our God and we are your people, might transform everything about how we live, how we relate, that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's something about Mary, isn't there? We don't really know what to do with her. There are some who read this account and who are so captivated and amazed that they they pour all of their attention and affection into Mary and, and exalt her basically to almost divine status, that she is sinless and glorious. There are others who react against this, seeing in 
other places in Scripture where she's just a normal human being who has her own doubts and fears and confusion in this world. And, and they, they reject the, the deification of Mary, but end up just, in effect, ignoring her and not really talking about her much at all. So what are we supposed to do with this? Here in this account, God is doing something incredible, unique, unheard of, unfathomable. And God is the hero of this story. But Mary, this poor little Jewish girl, is faithful. And if we are to learn anything from this passage at all, it is this. God does wondrous things through his faithful servants. Mary is a glorious example to us that God does wondrous things through his faithful servants. We're going to look at that this morning by considering four things that this passage shows us. It shows us that God graciously calls us to participate in his plan for the universe. That God always keeps his promises to his people. That God abides gloriously with his people. And that God is working to strengthen us in our faithful service to him. So let's look first at this reality that God graciously calls his people into his plan. It's such a strange introduction. The angel Gabriel shows up and says greetings to to Mary, and she's troubled by this. She's perplexed. What kind of greeting is this? And and this, (coughs) this maybe just seems bizarre because so often, if you're like me at least, when you're wondering and 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 trying to figure out what, what would God have you do? What, how would you, should you make this decision? Where should you go? What are the choices you should make? Like there are times when I wish an angel would just show up and say, hey, Jeff, greetings to you. Here's what you should do. Wouldn't that make it all easier? I don't think it would because when you find angels showing up in Scripture to make these sorts of announcements, it's always something amazing, glorious, inconceivable, And rarely in line with what you thought you'd hear. We don't want an angel to show up and say, Greetings! God adores you. Now, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and deny yourself and come follow Jesus. I was really wondering, should I buy or sell this stock? That, like, could you just, like, how's my 401k going to do? We like God to be a part of our plans. And in this, we're not unlike uh, those uh, Jewish zealots who not too far before this time led what is called the the Maccabean revolt against the the Roman uh, invaders and oppressors. And when they were crushed completely, Many looked and wondered, why did God not intervene? Why did God not jump in and become a part of our plan to free Israel from Rome? Uh, 
But God doesn't come into the world to be a part of our plans. He invites us to be a part of his. This is why Mary is so troubled. This is why she asks so many questions. Who am I? Is what these questions reflect. Who am I that God should come to me and invite me to be a part of this glorious thing? All throughout the story, Mary's worthiness is not at the forefront. What is at the forefront is the glory of God and the incredible, remarkable, inconceivable plan that he is embarking on. And Mary is left wondering, perplexed, and troubled. How is this going to happen? And how is it that I am a part of it? And yet what this shows us and what the rest of the New Testament confirms is that if you are the Lord's, if you are in Christ, if you have entrusted yourself to him, you are invited into his plans for the whole universe to participate in his work. To redeem all things. Elsewhere in scripture it says that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do the works that he's already prepared beforehand for us to do. God invites us to participate in his plan to redeem the universe. And if you hear that and it just sort of sits comfortably on your shoulders, maybe you didn't hear it, me. The whole you, whoever you are, whatever income bracket, whatever background, at whatever age, whatever place or station in life, you have been invited by the eternal God of the universe to participate with him in his plan to restore all things. And it ought to leave you, like Mary, wondering, who am I? This ought to change the way we relate to one another. We tend to relate to one another in terms of our plans. And when our spouses or our children or our neighbors or our coworkers or our parents don't align with our plans or our expectations, we take it upon ourselves to fix them. Maybe we choose to do that by berating them. Maybe we choose to do that by manipulating them. Maybe we choose to do that in whatever way we think will work, but we take it upon ourselves to fix them, to make them align better with our plans. And isn't this exhausting? Has it ever really worked? Maybe you've traded the short-term gains of seeing them align to your vision for reality for a moment only to see your relationship with them fracture and crumble down the road. This is how it feels when you take God's job on your own shoulders. When you think your plan for the universe is the one that needs to be followed. And when you think you have the power in you to shape and mold other people in your likeness, in your image. But what God is teaching us here 
is that he invites us into his plan for us to be molded into his likeness and his image, for the universe to be restored according to his good purpose. And what that means is whether an angel shows up or not, we might find ourselves in circumstances where God is doing something glorious and it'll be troubling to us. Are we as a church, are we as people troubled by these glorious opportunities around us when God is doing something amazing? Or do we stand at the ready to step in with the good news of who our God is and what he is able to do? Always ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the reason, for the hope that we have. When your plans and your purposes are at the forefront, God's plans and purposes will always be inconvenient. Always. Because he's not checking your daytimer or your schedule. He is inviting you into something of eternal significance. Are you ready? And willing? And faithful enough to follow where he leads? Mary was, even though she didn't fully understand what was going to happen. But what she discovers is that this God, who graciously invites her to be a part of his plan, always keeps his promises to his people. If you, if you realize where you are in the story, in the history of redemption, you realize that God has not sent a prophet to Israel in hundreds of years. But his silence does not in any way, shape, or form imply inactivity. If you've ever been to an art show or an art museum, and you walk in like that, that, that painting or that picture that won best in show or the thing that's just in fr- uh, it, 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 framed up at the, the, the center point in the whole museum for everybody to see. It didn't just appear there in an instant. And you artists know this. <laughs> Some of these things took days or weeks or months or even years to, to come about and to reach that place where, where they are these beautiful things to admire. And so God's plan doesn't follow our tame timetable. And his silence, though, doesn't imply inactivity. He was at work. And now the time is right to reveal the masterpiece that he has been preparing. He had promised that there would be a descendant of David who would be seated on the throne of Israel forever and ever, and that kingdom would have no end. He had promised that the kingdoms of the world would fall, but the mountain that symbolizes the kingdom of God would stand forever and ever and ever. And now that moment has arrived. And he tells Mary, don't be afraid. You will conceive a son. You shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great. He will be the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Something different is happening. 
something glorious. And it's because God is faithful to keep all of the promises that he's made to his people. If you go and read later in this account, Mary's song, the Magnificat, it is just a long hymn of praise to God who made promises and keeps them. And he keeps his promises to you. But notice that the fulfillment of all of God's promises don't come in being set free from the Roman oppressors. The fulfillment of all of God's promises doesn't come with God being able to to just gift his children uh, a lottery ticket and have them live in wealth and splendor and pleasure forevermore. The fulfillment of God's promises come in Christ. The fulfillment of God's promises to you are in Christ as well. Maybe you've been praying for your children, for your spouse. You've been praying for for certain things to happen in their lives or certain changes to occur in their behavior, certain differences to be made evident. But you've lost sight of what it means that it's in Christ All God's promises are yes and amen. And you've maybe fallen into the trap of praying for success for your children, good grades, for your spouse to be nicer to you, or or for y'all to be able to make that trip or to get that promotion at work or whatever it is, and you have lost sight that God's promises to you are most fulfilled when it is Christ formed in you and in those around you. Would you stand more in awe and in wonder if your children won the Nobel Prize, all of them, at once, in every category? Or if they came to know Jesus and were willing to live for him faithfully forever? Where is our confidence? Where is our hope? What drives us? What guides us? What keeps us? It's not our God who keeps all his promises to us in Christ. This is important for us to realize because this God who calls us to be a part of his plan, who keeps all of his promises to us in Christ, he abides with his people gloriously. Look, sometimes, especially in hard times, especially in difficult times, especially in scary times, it can be hard to see that God is at work at all, that God is fulfilling any promises, that God even cares or hears. If you've ever been to the target range, 
or gone through any sort of firearms training, you might be told that it's instinctive to flinch and close your eyes right before you pull the trigger. And you won't hit anything doing that. You really won't. And in fact, you might embarrass yourself. You might hurt somebody. You've got to keep your eyes on the target to the end and resist that natural inclination to just flinch and look away. Sometimes we get into these difficult circumstances and it's natural and it's normal for us to just withdraw, to close our eyes, to, to turn away, to distract ourselves, to, to, to run. And when we do, we may miss an opportunity to see God at work there. Mary asks a question. It's very different from the question Zechariah asked. The angel shows up to Zechariah earlier in this chapter and says, your barren wife will bear a son. And he's like, How? that's not even possible. Do you not know she's barren? And then the angel's like, you're not going to be able to talk anymore because I'm not going to put up with that. That's the Jeff Ferguson paraphrase, but that's, that's more or less how it goes. Here, Mary asks a question. It's not out of faith. All she knows of are these horrible Roman myths of these wicked and disgusting gods coming down and, and abusing and using people for their own ends. She's like, I've been faithful to my betrothed husband, Joseph. I'm a virgin. I've been faithful to God. How? is this going to happen? What is it that you're asking of me? And God answers her in this way, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is not going to be anything that you've read about in any of those Roman or Greek myths. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That holy child will be born the Son of God. You see, the the triune God is at work here. Bringing His glory to bear on the temple, the true temple that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This word overshadow is linked to the Shekinah glory of God that comes down on the mountain of Sinai in a cloud, that comes down on the tabernacle in a cloud, that comes down on the temple in a cloud. And now that glory of God comes down on the true temple of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring the Son of God into the world. The Holy Spirit will abide with her will come upon her with power, and God will work gloriously, and he will make his glorious presence known. And what is even more amazing about this, as as unique as this uh, account is, that as we read through the rest of the New Testament, we find that this is a a type, this is a, a foreshadowing of what God is going to do in all of his people, where, yes, here, the temple is Christ. But with Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, he is now building out of his people a temple in which his Holy Spirit will dwell. And God's Spirit comes and abides with his people. The very presence of God, the glory of God 
is able to overshadow even you. That God's presence might abide with you forever. Mary's only response to this is, I am your servant. May it be to me as you've said. And you read these accounts all throughout the book of Luke where Mary sees God working in some remarkable way and she treasures that in her heart. She treasures that up in her heart. She treasures that up in her heart. Here, she is learning what we ought to learn, that God is at work. His presence is overflowing to his people. And if you have eyes to see it, You have opportunities to behold the glory of God at work around you. Do you have eyes to see it? Or do you shut your eyes and flinch and turn away? Are you full of criticism and bitterness or awe and wonder? Are you patient amid trial and tribulation because you know that when things are the darkest, that is often when the light of God shines the brightest. You are looking. Where is his rod? Where is his staff? Where is his comfort for me here? Do you look out at the world and all the the shifts in culture and the confusion, and the anger, and the polarization that seems to be taking place? And does it cause you to despair? Do you have eyes to see that God has not stopped working? He is at work. He is with his people. And he is doing such glorious things. Do you see them? This God who calls us to participate in his glorious plan, who keeps his promises, who abides with his people. He is at work strengthening us in the midst of all of this, that we might be faithful to him because he knows this is hard for us. Sometimes, even when we know what we ought to do, we don't do it. I mean, I won't put that on you, but if you're like me, Sometimes, even when I know what I ought to do, I don't do it. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm just not confident enough to step in to the hard places in faithfulness to serve God. A friend of mine took me cliff jumping. We kayaked out on this lake in South Carolina and climbed up on this cliff. And he's like, and now we're going to jump off. And I'm like, and now I'm going home. Thank you very much. I will walk. Uh, I don't like heights. I don't like, I mean, I'm the kid that walked up on the high dive, turned around and walked back down like that. This is not a thing for me. And I know the physics. I know it's fine. I know how I'm supposed to land in the water. And I just don't like it. But you know what enabled me to jump off that cliff besides peer pressure? He went first. I was like, oh, it doesn't seem so bad. And so I followed. One time. 
Look, Mary doesn't even ask for assurance, but God knows he's asking a lot of her. He says, you know what? Your relative, Elizabeth, you know she was barren. She's with child. Six months pregnant. Let that be an encouragement to you. To be faithful. To carry on. She's going first. And so you know that I, who am with you, who invites you to be a part of my plan, I'll keep those promises that I've made. Where is God proving his faithfulness to you? I mean, sometimes we want it like, God, if you would rent an airplane and a banner that says, hey, haven't forgotten, send me an email, whatever. Like we want God to do it a certain way, but God doesn't doesn't feed our idols. Shows us his hand at work in ways that draw us near to him. Do you see them? How is God, even in the little ways, strengthening your faith in him? Maybe he's answered those prayers in ways that only God can do. And if you're not, Praying, God, there's no prayers for God to answer. So take that into account. Maybe somebody comes into your life at just the right moment with just the right word of encouragement. Maybe you get a note that you didn't expect. Maybe you're the one that God used to send the note and the response to it encouraged you. Maybe I can step into the hard places and encourage others. Where is God at work around you, even in the hard places to remind you he hasn't left you, he hasn't forsaken you, but he is strengthening you. He's going ahead of you. One way, he's at work in so many different ways. Have somebody over to your house. For dinner, somebody from the church that maybe you haven't gotten to know in some time, or you, you just saw received into membership, or, or somebody that you just haven't hung out with in a long time, have them over and just ask the question what's God doing in your life? We ask the, that question at almost every membership commission when people join the church. What's God doing? And we love those meetings because inevitably God is doing something incredible. But you don't know if you run away and hide, if you don't ask, if you don't seek, if you don't look. Look, if we're to learn anything from this passage, it's that we should not grow weary. We should not despair. We should not fall into the trap of thinking that God has forgotten us or left us. should take courage. God does wondrous things through his faithful servants. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would remind us of this. 
that you would give us eyes to see this more and more and more. Increase our faithfulness, Lord. Take away from us the fear that keeps us from drawing near to you. Take away from us the fear that keeps us from following where you lead. Take away from us the hesitancy to serve, to live as those who have an unshakable hope because our God keeps his promises in Christ. May that reality, Lord, change the way we relate to one another. May it change the way we relate to the world, that we might stand as your people, filled with your Holy Spirit, living faithfully for your glory. May we be those who, with Mary, say, let it be to me, as you say, we are servants of the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.